0: We are pushing processes on them at such an earlier age that their brains are not ready to understand the process of reading or the process of math or the process you know to think through all these different steps they have to go through they're not ready to do that so what are we doing with our kids when we're giving them such complex things to learn in school when their brain is not ready or developed to do that
1: Welcome to the Parenting ADHD podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHDaholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD podcast. I'm really excited today to be talking to Jean Harville, who is a reading strategist. Um, In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about unleashing your kid's genius and what sort of mindset and strategies go with that process and that way of supporting our kids. Thanks for being here, Jean. I really appreciate you sharing some of your time and wisdom with everyone. Can you start just by introducing yourself and let everyone know who you are and what you do?
0: Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for asking me to be on the podcast. I'm really excited that I'm here. I am um, an online reading strategist, and so I've had uh, about, you know, 20-some years working with kids who think and learn differently. And I have been in that in, in the schools in the classrooms and watching some of my kids just struggle uh, with uh, like who they are and what they can and can't do and so I was in the school system, you know, for a while, and I even thought to myself, I need to go back and get more training because I just feel like I'm not really ready to teach my students. So I went back for a master's degree, came back into teaching in the classroom, and it's just, there was something that just was nagging at me. Just the skills that I had, I just needed a little bit more. I wanted to fully and better understand my students. And I told my principal one day, I said, you know... I need to leave. And he said, okay. And so I did. I made that transition. I made it like in January, uh, which was the, which was fine for my kids. So, um, and one day I was looking down the hall and I saw this developmental center and I thought, well, I wonder what that is. Checking into it, it was, um, a neurologist who was very interested in the dyslexic brain and how kids with dyslexia learn. And about that time is when functional MRIs became available to to, to use, right? So she decided to use MRIs and study the, the dyslexic brain and the non-dyslexic brain and see the difference, this actual structural difference in the brains, which I, I thought, oh, wow, this is fascinating. This was like around 1990 when all this came about. And so we developed a reading program that would help to uh, create new neural pathways for these kids because they the The traditional reading programs just wasn't getting what they needed, right? So um, that was just fascinating for me because it it just gave me more insight into uh, brain and brain development and what uh, where our reading programs were going wrong. Um, I you know, also after that I worked in private schools and specialized clinics and so forth, and so I took all that knowledge brought all that knowledge away, and I, then I was called out of teaching for a while, like go to China, adopt a couple of kids, come back, raise your kids. So that's about 20 years right there. So um, coming back into this, I thought, okay, they're heading off to college. What? and What is my goal? What do I need to do? And I just found myself back in really wanting to help parents because I know when my kids were going through school, I wasn't teaching at the time, but I had parents would ask me, Jean my child is struggling here. What can I do? And I thought, and I would give them some suggestions and they would try it out. And uh, they were like, wow, this is really, this is great. It worked. And so I was thinking, why don't I uh, work with parents and help them to navigate what's going on with their kids who think and learn differently? You know, that's something that I can provide like on the online space. So that's why, where I became a, online reading strategist so that I can create the community of um, parents to kind of help them and to teach them and to bring them along and to take a look at their kids in a little bit different way and uh, knowing about um, brain development and especially in the um, Unleash Your Kids Genius Masterclass series that I just uh, that created and we finished a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I brought along uh, speakers in there that would talk about neurodevelopment, talk about anxiety, what actually was going on in the brain, how the amygdala takes over uh, when your child is in a total panic, um, and just I think it was just a new way for parents to take a look at their kids in a different way. Like, what's the what is the one unique piece that my child can do? My child is not broken. The brain is just different. They learn in a different way. So we take this, you know, yes, reading is important. They need to be able to do reading, but why not teach them in a way that's going to be more relevant for them That and one that's going to be helpful for them. And also find really that nugget, that genius of what they have and build on that, build on self-confidence and help them to see their strengths.
1: Yeah. I think let's start with a conversation about parent mindset a little bit because we kind of grow up and become parents with these certain ideas about school, school performance, academic performance, behavior, a lot of things. And one of the biggest pieces for ADHD specifically is to really take a look at the fact that your child can walk through life differently or walk through childhood differently, and still be a successful, happy adult. And a lot of that can come through our expectations around school, because that's a super big piece of our kids' childhood. And it's so important, like you were already talking about a little bit, to shift what we're expecting. And, you know, I think about grades as the obvious thing that we tend to really hyper-focus on that isn't necessarily a predictor of future success. Um, What other sort of beliefs do you find that parents have that are kind of, I guess, creating a barrier or a hurdle to really helping their child as much as they could? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I have had so many parents, and I've had to really rethink this myself, too, because I come from thinking about my growing up and what my parents did, and I have those stories running in my subconscious brain also, like, this is the way you parent. And, you know, it's many of parents now, it's like, I want my child to read, to love books, to pick up a book, and just voraciously go through books and read and read and love reading like I did. Well, there's nothing really wrong with that. But the thing is that reading looks different for our kids now. Um, yeah, we do have libraries and we do, we still have books, but reading is also on technology. It's also on the computer. You know, there's so many other, and even our classrooms have been, you know, picking up on technology also. They need to be able to read on those devices as well. So that kind of takes them away from the book. In a way. So you have to kind of think like, well, okay, we are moving into an era, we've been moving into an era of technology. And so reading, it's still valuable. They have to be able to read in order to to read the devices and that sort of thing. And so kind of shifting a little bit when they see their kids reading on the computer, I mean, to do a research paper and I remember going through the card catalog in the library and spending hours in a card catalog. It's so much easier now to just Google it and to find the pieces that you need. Now I have to read what I have Google. Yes, that's true. But, um, just kind of shifting a little bit there that they may not have all these books surrounding them, but what they probably have are their tech pieces, you know, their phone, their iPhone, their computers and that sort of thing. So then I think one of the things that I want to look at when I work with kids is not only where they need to improve in their reading, but also what are the things that, that make them so unique. And I don't think that was very, wasn't like in the forefront of of our parents when when we were growing up it was more like fitting in fit in with the crowd you you go to school you learn this here's your a here's your b here's your c and that sort of thing where now we need to take a look at like the skills that they have and the schools in Canada do not have a grading system or at least the elementary level they do more checklist like they can do this skill and this skill and this skill so the, the kids are not like comparing themselves they uh, you know comparing themselves to their classmates that they actually are just noticing what it is that they need to work on so parents are thinking oh my gosh, how can I tell if my kid is moving along where they're supposed to be because I don't have the A, B, C grades to to score. And those grades are so arbitrary anyway.
1: Yeah, they really are. You know, one of the things I think about shifting too is the expectation that Um, a kid is good at every subject. So the math alone that they are required to learn now in high school, and even earlier, you know, I think they're starting algebra in middle school now. And so they're getting to very complex math that 95% of us are not going to do probably 99% of us are not going (laughs) to use in our adult life. And so, you know, if your kid is not getting an A in that, And, you know, they want to be a writer or a teacher and not a math teacher, obviously, but (laughs) something where they don't need to use that, Mm -hmm. then we have to weigh how important it really is.
0: Yeah, we were talking about brain development earlier and so much more is known about it and talking about the executive function for that a lot of our kids struggle with, especially if they have attention issues, uh, um, and even learning disabilities as well, that 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 does not develop until they're Way like in their 30s, Um, normally developing child, whatever that means these days is in their 20s. If they'll develop this ability to organize, to verbalize, to focus, to all those skills that are necessary to get through school. So when I think about, you know, the brain development with the back of the brain developing first, which is social emotional area, that's for our little guys, our little kids, Um, and they're all about the stories about You know, the two vows go walking, one does the talking, one is silent. They love the stories about that, but we are pushing processes on them at such an earlier age that their brains are not ready to understand the process of reading or the process of math or the process, you know, to think through all these different steps they have to go through. They're not ready to do that. So what are we doing with our kids when we're giving them such complex things to learn in school when their brain is not ready or developed to do that?
1: I like that you use the word process over and over too, because with executive functioning, especially, we tend to take for granted how complex some processes really are. Um, My son has dysgraphia, which is handwriting learning disability. And when you really start to break down the demands on working memory, on all of this other neurology, the, the motor function and control, and the fact that all of this is piling on at one time, it helps you to understand why they struggle so much with the writing. And I think so much of this and so much of unleashing your child's genius is understanding where their strengths and weaknesses lie and then using the strengths as much as we can and then accommodating the things that they just kind of struggle with. You know, there's so many tools and assistive technology and strategies that can help, but you kind of have to understand what they need and the way that their brain is working in order to figure out what to do to be helpful.
0: Yes, and I also like to use the uh, the best way for teaching our kids is through multi-sensories, right? Using auditory or visual or tactile uh, movement, even movements in the mouth with the way sounds feel in the mouth. And a lot of our kids who think and learn differently cannot. Ha- they don't have the feeling around the mouth to know when their tongue is moving. They look at a mirror and say, my tongue is actually moving while I'm talking. Well, if they don't have that senses, it's difficult for them to process, to, to speak through those sounds and to track and see if they are saying the work correctly. So, We have to take a look at our kids and see where their strengths are, where their zone of genius, like my child can take apart this toy and can totally put it back together again. That's amazing. And that's what this child has, this huge visual spatial field, and can do that. And they can take this whole, you know, look at the toy and say, hmm, I bet, and take it apart, and they can put it right back together again. And it's like, my gosh, that's amazing that they can do that.
1: Right?
0: Yeah, so I think we just have to take a look and see, uh, what their, the best modality that they learn with.
1: Yeah. And everybody has strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it feels like our kids have so many more weaknesses because they struggle in these areas that have such a high demand on them in childhood, like executive functioning at school. And so it, it feels so much, like it's so much more of a bigger part of them almost. And so, really, being mindful as a parent of what are my child's strengths, what can I use? You know, when my son was in early elementary school, for spelling homework, he has dysgraphia; he's not writing it. You know, that was just torture. And so, I got a set of alphabet cookie cutters and Play-Doh, and cut them out and spell them that way. We would do um, the hot ball, and he would jump around the house and spell. Um, macaroni or spaghetti uncooked. I would let him use that and spell out the words. There's so many other ways. And really those are much more engaging and fun than mm-hmm. sitting down with a piece of paper and writing it with pencil, right? Right. I know if, if I'm having fun, then it's gotta be great. <laughs> right. And you're learning, you're engaged, not saying, oh, I can't do this mm-hmm. because we found a way that he could do it. And there's just so much of that that's possible Again, you just have to know what you're, what you're needing and where where kind of the gaps are and how to fill those in, I think is really crucial, but then also kind of shifting your expectations to say, what's really important for my child? What is it gonna take for my child to feel competent and confident and successful? You have a lot of choices when choosing a treatment for your child's ADHD and anxiety. The market is flooded with pills of one type or another that are aimed at reducing symptoms. Brillia is offering a completely new option for ADHD symptom management with a unique targeted active ingredient. The easy dissolve tablets are non-prescription and backed by a 100% money back guarantee. But what I love about Brillia is that they want to help their customers succeed beyond just taking their product. Brillia supports its customers with the five pillars for healthier lifestyle choices. These include information and support on nutrition, sleep, mindfulness, and screen time, all of which we know to be a vital part of the optimal symptom management. Brillia wants to help you and your children shine brighter. And get this, Brillia is offering Parenting ADHD podcast listeners 15% off your first order. Go to discoverbrillia.com to learn more and use the code ADHD15 to try Brillia today. That's discoverbrillia.com, B-R-I-L-L-I-A and use code ADHD15. You and I were talking earlier before we started about kids kind of getting this message that they can't they can't they can't and so they end up automatically assuming that about things after receiving that message for so long and my son is definitely a case of that because he's so smart he never quite got the level of support that he needed in school despite the probably hundreds of meetings we've had over the last 10 or 11 years but that message starts to build for them And we have to be able to help them feel like there's good parts of themselves
0: too. I love when you said, I can't do this. That's a message that a lot of our kids will say. Mm -hmm. And so what happens if they're thinking, I can't do this. They tell themselves that over and over. And there's an emotion with that too. It's a sadness. And then it turns into, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And so they keep telling themselves that. So the subconscious brain doesn't judge. It says, Hmm. Little Timmy is saying I'm not good enough. Okay. He said he said that a lot of times now we're going to build that neural pathway for him. So he's not good enough. So whenever he gets close to an assignment that or reading or something that he doesn't feel good enough about, I'm going to I'm going to say, Timmy, back away, back away. You're not good enough. Remember, you're not good enough. I'm going to protect you. And that's what, there's no judgment with our brain. They don't know. Uh, The brain doesn't know that. But what the brain knows is what you put into it. And when you connect it with an emotion, then that neural pathway is built. So what do we do? So we want to, when we start hearing our kids saying these negative things, negative thoughts, even with ourselves as adults, if I say like tax season is upon us, I do not want to do taxes and I'm the person who has to do the taxes. And so I've talked myself out of it. So I procrastinate. I put it away. The procrastination is a huge barrier. And so I have to tell myself, I've done it for the last 20 some years. I can do this, but I have to retrain my brain every single year to say, I can move through this. So you can just try, like if you have a negative thought yourself, you can try this method. So this is something that you could work with your kids. You hear your kids say, I'm not good enough. Or something like to that matter. And that's basically what most of these comments will narrow down to is they'll either, they'll say, I'm not good enough. And then they'll procrastinate or they'll just back away and not do, become reluctant to, to read or to do math or whatever. And so when you hear these negative comments, you say, okay, we're going to write this, just kind of write it down and, um, pick a time when, when you're not in the thick of things. And you can just mention, you know, Timmy, what are your thoughts around reading? And they'll go, uh, I don't know. It's boring. And when they say boring, that means it's hard. That's really what it, it, the message that they're giving you to say, well, you know, okay, it's hard. Um, what is it about reading that's hard? And they may, you know, be able to tell you. And so you kind of think about what they have done in their life that was hard and they were able to move through it. All right. Let's say little Timmy was on the soccer team and at first he struggled with being able to kick a goal or to kick that ball or run and kick the ball. But he was able to, over time, figure that thing out. He was able to kick the ball and actually make goals. Say, little Timmy, remembered when you started, you know, soccer and that was really hard, wasn't it? Ed? Because, yeah, it was. Well, you know, they can talk about the progress that he made in learning that skill how do you feel about soccer now? I love it. I am a great soccer player. So that's something that you was hard to begin with. You've moved through the process of of training and and learning the skills and now you're a great soccer player. So come across and just think back where your child thought something was hard and moved them through to where they are now. And now you say, look at what you can do now. You can put that model airplane together in a snap of a finger. And so to kind of go through and find evidence that they were able to move from something that was hard to something to now they can do. And so what a new statement could be, you know, they, they come up with that through questioning and they may come up with, geez, when something's hard, I'm able to figure out hard things step by step by step. But I just think about step by step by step. So I can do hard things when I take a step, one step at a time. Yeah. That's a lot lighter. It's a lot more and so. The way the brain works is that the the old pathway needs to be broken before you can create that new pathway. And if you, after maybe 10 or so different statements or new affirmations that are created by your child, by you and your child, just record those. Either your child can record them, depending on their age, you can record them because they love to hear your voice and put that recording on when they first wake up in the morning. And it goes through the different positive things that they have created about themselves. and Or you can do it in the evening. Those are probably the two times that would be most convenient for uh, the child. And you could just turn it on when they are getting ready to wake up. So they're hearing those affirmations. The brain is hearing that. Or as they're going to sleep, the brain is hearing. That's the two times. And also another one is after they have exercised. Um those are the times when the brain, the uh, conscious brain is aware and the subconscious brain is not. And so you're able to get that message into the conscious brain and uh, be able to create the new neural pathways. And after about the first 21 days, you are about even with the old pathway and the new one. The old one's just about to break. And that new one is really building Uh, stronger, you go ahead and take that to 67 days, it's like two and a half months of every day, uh, having them listen to these new affirmations. And when you get out to that 67th day, they have a whole new mindset about doing hard things. It's just, it's incredible. It's really
1: fascinating. And, you know, we're talking more and more all the time about neural pathways and how we can change the brain. Um, and it can be hard to do, but we can kind of rewire some of what's going on and the more positive experiences or the more times that they've met adversity and did well, the more that is kind of taking over in a sense, because we're literally making these new neural connections. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's important to say too, if it's all negative all the time, that's wiring the brain in a different sort of way. You know, it's it's having an impact physiologically on your neurology, positive or negative. So which do you want? You know, obviously right. you want the positive. One note I made while you were just talking is about doing harder, uncomfortable things. It's kind of a trait for a lot of people with ADHD and especially autism. And I see it so much in my son and we're really working on it heavily in therapy with him right now is to sit with and move through discomfort because his whole life he has just worked on avoiding how do i shut down this feeling right away and of course he has created these negative uh damaging coping mechanisms with this real compulsion almost for for shutting down any discomfort And I see it now in so many kids now that this amazing therapist that we started seeing in 2019 is that's his perspective on it because he's not a specialist in ADHD or autism. So he brought this whole different viewpoint to the things that were going on. And I see that with school stuff too, so much Mm -hmm. is, well, this is really overwhelming or this is really hard. And I know I'm not going to feel good doing this so I have to just put a stop to it I have to do whatever I can to get away from it we've dealt with school avoidance and school refusal for years and it's super super hard because you know everybody in the world is saying your kid has to go to school and your kid is saying you'll have to take me there you know dead or (laughs) knock me out you know not physically I'm not going that's been an issue for us um, for a while, and and the reason is that there's so much anxiety in that environment. There's so much stress in that environment that a lot of them really internalize and take that message to heart in a way that not only is kind of programming them to say I can't, but it's also really stressing them out and really causing a lot of anxiety. And then you see a lot of behavior that is challenging and unwanted. And so we really have to again. It, it just keeps circling back to really understand your child and where their strengths and weaknesses lie, and what is hard for them, or what they perceive as hard for them. But keep working on ways to get them to be able to sit with discomfort because it's so huge.
0: And all the things that they're learning. You know, the reason why I got into really work, wanting to work with the kids' mindset. Is that for myself, why I, why I think back to childhood incidences that happened to me and why I think I'm, I'm small. I don't want to stand out because I don't want anyone judging me or whatever. And so I'm like, why can't we go back to the kids right now while they're in childhood? Give them the tools to work on their mindset, work on these negative things. What we know about the brain now and the neuroplasticity of of the brain, we can make those changes and give them those tools and give the parents those tools that they can work on these negative things now and not let them sit with them and stew in them their whole life. And that just brings them back. When they are adults, I can't do anything. I'm dumb. I don't amount to much of it. You know, I'm not valuable. So if we can give them those tools now, Why not?
1: Yeah, and celebrate when they succeed. Like Mm -hmm. we used to have pizza and cake when, you know, the kids had a great weekend at school, or just the little things I would make much more of a big deal out of because that's what really sticks with them. They're going to remember that. You know, he did Science Olympiad and his team won a medal. And he strutted around with that medal. Like, I mean, he totally didn't believe it was possible for him, right? And so when he saw and felt that it was, we made a super big deal. You get to pick where we're going to go for lunch. We're going to go out. We're going to celebrate. Look what you did, you know? And I took a picture of him looking at that medal on his neck. And I put it on the refrigerator for like two years because it really just lit him up. It was almost inspiring. It showed him and reminded him that, yes, he could.
0: Yeah, and that's so much better than just like a reward system. You do this, you get that. It's just what you're doing, you're changing the, the way they're thinking about themselves. You're motivating them. And it's much more intrinsic than just an extrinsic award. So I think that if we can really change their thinking, the way they think about themselves, their thoughts and their emotions and their beliefs about who they are is key.
1: The beliefs, yeah, that's huge, huge. And it it takes a lot of work, <laughs> you know, oh, yes. a long-term <laughs> marathon. You mm-hmm. can't be really positive for a couple months and then it didn't work and your kid hasn't completely shifted their idea about themselves and think, oh, well, that doesn't work. You know, it's, it's a lifestyle almost.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you'll fail first. You know, you just have to keep working on it and and find someone who knows how to do this and just kind of keep talking with them and uh, talk with other moms and friends and that sort of thing. And just kind of, I think, like you said, it is a marathon and you'll get there if you just, you know, keep working on it and tweaking it along the way.
1: Yeah, such good information. I know we only have a short time together and we're running to the end of that, but I think you've really given us that kind of overarching nugget of wisdom that we need that place that's the foundation of where we need to be parenting from is to really look at strengths and really tailor what we're doing to our
0: child and who they are and where they are right Mm -hmm. absolutely shifting those beliefs that that your child has about themselves
1: yeah so important and it It comes down to not letting the conversation always be about ADHD or dyslexia or weaknesses. Right,
0: right, exactly. We all have unique brains and we're all different. And I think that, you know, in the past few years, they've taken away the disability terminology and bringing it more to think that you think and learn differently. And I love that. I love that. We're not, we're not broken. None of us are broken.
1: Yeah, we're just all human. Exactly. Well, thank you so much again. For everyone listening, you can connect with Jean, get a link to her website, theonlinereadingstrategist.com and other um, ways to connect with her in the show notes for this episode. And those are at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 084. Again, I appreciate you being here. I know that our audience has learned a lot and it's going to help them to help their kids.
0: Well, I totally appreciate you asking me to come, and I've enjoyed my time. I can talk about this till you know cows come home. I guess that's a, a saying. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's why I have a podcast now. I get to talk about <laughs> all but all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's because we're so passionate about what we do. Absolutely so important. So, um, with that, we are at the end of the episode, and I will see everyone next time. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com.